Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we continue in our series entitled Chasing After the Wind, we come today to the subject of work. Just as our work has an intended purpose designed by God, we too were crafted by Him to do good works. We will see in our study today that without God, we are left with vain striving towards self-defined and self-dependent achievement. But when we remember to tie our work with our relationship with Jesus, we will discover a divine purpose and a supernatural joy that even the most mundane tasks can be transformed into an act of worship. Thanks for joining with us as we once more sit under the wisdom of the teacher from the book of Ecclesiastes. When I was much younger, I heard the call from my father, get your shoes on. So I knew what that meant. I got to go to work. Um, Any of you fathers have been blessed with um, sons. Daughters are great too, but you put your sons to work. That's what I learned, and I try to do the same thing for my boy. On this particular day, my dad put me in the truck, and we drove down the road to the neighbors because uh, he had asked if he could get a truckload of manure from the neighbor had, had sheep. And so, guess who was going to be shoveling the manure? That's right, the boy that put his boots on. So we got there, he backed the truck up, we, the neighbor came out, my dad and him started chumming around, oh, how's it going, talking about the weather, hands me the shovel, and tells me, make sure you get it all the way in the back of the truck. And then the two of them leave. I, I believe the two of them went off looking at a, a deer trail or something that they had to go see. And so here I was with this sheep looking at me with a shovel. And so shovelful after shovelful, I started to put it in there. But you get a little manure on your hands and then it feels like it's everywhere. And I'm pretty sure the sheep was laughing at me. I'm pretty sure. He was like, eh. like this. sheep was laughing at me. Two hours later, which really it wasn't, felt like two hours later, they come back. It was probably only 10 minutes. But lo and behold, I had been shoveling from the wrong area. And in fact, the farmer had a different plan for that. And there was a completely different stall. And so guess what I had to do? Start over again. Here's the problem with work. If you do not have your task directed by the one who's in charge, you know what you might end up doing? A bunch of busy work that doesn't amount to anything. And if you want to see discouragement seep in quickly, it's when your work does not have any return. And the reason why that happens in our lives, both in the illustration that I gave and as Christians, is when you and I detach ourselves from the plan and purpose of the one who's in charge. How very important it is. That whatever shovel you have in this life, wherever you work, wherever God has allowed you to earn income, to put bread on the table, you and I must remember both that that bread comes by His mercy, for He gives us our daily bread, but He also is the one who has not just determined the work, but determined how that work needs to be done, both its characteristic and in its quality. You and I are called as those who must display what it looks like to follow after the program and the plan of God Almighty. And no other place is this more important than in our work. Now I'm looking out here over our church and I see some folks who are retired. Now retired just means you're tired. That's all I mean. (laughs) 
as you never stop working. In fact, if you ever do stop working, you will find that there's a purpose that's been given in your heart by God that's drawn to the design of your creation. For He made man, placed him in the garden, and told him, here's your shovel. Right? Told him, get busy. And Adam and Eve, following in obedience to God's design, found that work was a joy until, until sin. And sin done messed everything up. For now, the work that we would seek to do no longer produces a fulfillment and a satisfaction after knowing the purposes of God, but instead work now becomes toil. Work becomes that which is vanity. In fact, without Jesus, your work will drive you to despair as that which is meaningless. We're in a series that's called Chasing After the Wind. It's an extended study through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes is one that's many times overlooked, both by the church and just Christians in general. For the message seems to be one that's just just a complete downer. It's very hard to feel a lot of encouragement reading the book of Ecclesiastes. And part of the problem is because many people, as they undertake the effort to study this book, they fail to understand exactly what the author means in displaying all that is called vanity, all that is called a chasing after the wind. For the author has sought to describe a life lived under the sun without giving attention or recognition to God who lives above the sun. And so as we have for the past few weeks been studying this, I want to just give us a reminder again that as we look into this passage, as we look into the book, we will find both a repetition of themes that get repeated throughout the chapters and more than that, we will find the key to, being, to understanding what the author means. To be unlocked by this awareness that what he's talking about is living your life without God. It's very popular today, you know. The world that you and I live in has an abundance of those who want nothing to do with God. Oh, they know God. We know they know God. The Bible teaches us they know God. But they don't want anything to do with God. In large part, we carry a a measure of blame in this. As Christians, unfortunately, I think it's so easy for us to become like the Pharisees, claiming a kind of righteousness for ourselves, thinking that we got it all together, rather than continually offering glory back to God. For it's not you who are righteous. It is Christ who is righteous. And now Jesus in us produces righteousness. But what kind of message does that give to the average sinner? What, you got to look good? You got to be good? I know I'm not good. I see you all pretending. And so you know what? I'd rather have nothing to do with it. That's not it. That's not what the gospel message is. We have to be those who understand that God's mercy is given not to those who are good, but to sinners. Any sinners in church this morning? Yeah, your message is that my God is great. My God is good. I am the undeserving recipient of his mercy. And that to be displayed becomes a message that the world will want to hear. There's another big deception. Even the Bible teaches that in the last days, God will send a powerful delusion You guys know what that word means? Delusion, that which makes you deceived. In our world today, I think science has occupied that in many ways where people no longer put their hope in Jesus. People no longer put their hope in God, but they place their hope in what they think the facts of science teach them. 
Let's be honest. All that is is more ammunition for you to live your life however you want to. Come on, let's be honest. All that is is another defense to say, you know what, rather than submit and humble myself to the will of God, I'll find some other way of rationalizing or justifying my sin so that as long as it's okay with everybody else, it must be okay. Did anyone ever have kids that tried that argument with, right, with, with you? If I tell one of them, hey, you need to stop doing that, and the other one says, but the other one isn't, does that make it okay? It's funny how we never grow up beyond that, isn't it? As adults, we've just gotten more refined at saying, well, it's okay for everybody else, so that must be okay for me. Yeah, you and I, we live under the sun. You live in a culture that's under the sun. You live with neighbors and relatives and people who want nothing to do with God. And any time you carry that perspective, you will find that a redefinition of purpose must be claimed. Otherwise, life is utterly meaningless. And so you end up becoming God. You end up becoming the one who defines right and wrong. You sit in the judge's seat and have displaced any authority for God by claiming it for yourselves. And doesn't that sound like the lie from the beginning? Do you remember the book of Genesis? The serpent came there in the garden, spoke to the woman. He said, surely you won't die. But instead, your eyes will be opened and you, help me out, you will be like You will be like God. You can decide good from evil. And that message has continued all the way to today. Last week we looked at death as the primary theme, and it really is through the book of Ecclesiastes, that life is meaningless if it only ends in death. It's utterly meaningless. When you're dead, you're gone. That's it. There's nothing that's left. Today we're going to move on to another theme, a theme called work. And you heard in our scripture readings in the Old and New Testament, both that which came from the old, unless the Lord builds it, the workers labor in vain. Uh, Unless the Lord is the one who has set the program and design for your work, you know what you're going to do? You're going to wear yourself right out. You're going to end up in burnout. That is our message from the Old Testament. And in the New, seeing that God was the one who delivered the talents, both ten or five and two and one, to those who would work for him. Same is true for you. God has blessed you today. He really has. I wonder if you think that way about your work, though. I wonder if your work for you is a joy. And I think for many people it isn't. It might feel like shoveling manure. And so what we want to do today in looking to the book of Ecclesiastes is try to uncover how can we reclaim purposeful meaning and joy to be found in our everyday work. I know I piqued some, some of your interest here because some of you are like, man, I hate my boss. Man, I work just, this pastor better give me something I can use this week. All right, well, hopefully the Bible will. So with that in mind, we're going to look at three passages. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out. Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in uh, three short passages, one beginning in chapter two. And then we're going to work our way through some observations that we can pull out of these passages, finally then moving on to a conclusion of application as to how you and I can reframe our perspective on work. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I'd like to have you start with me in verse 17. Page 952 in the Pew Bibles. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. The writer says, So I hated life 
because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work to which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too, meaningless. Okay, that word meaningless gets repeated a lot. You remember that's the Hebrew word hevel. It means vain striving. It means I don't get anything out of this. Even as I'm reading through this here this morning, I am reminded when I was also young, my dad would have, a, have the truck up on jacks and he'd be under there changing the oil or fixing a brake. And he would say to me, son, go get me a wrench. And I'd come back with like a pliers and I can just imagine him thinking, meaningless, meaningless. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Even if I work with wisdom and skill, I have to leave all of this to this idiot. Oh. <laughs> Thankfully, thankfully, he kept me with him under the truck long enough to tell the difference between a wrench and the pliers. But here we go. First observation, if you have your sermon notes, the blank that we have here is that without God, my work leads to despair. If you're going to live your life under the sun pretending that there is no God and that I'm the one in charge and I'm the one who determines right from wrong and how I'm going to do things, you know where that will lead? That will lead you directly to just despair over your work. You're going to become the kind of person who'd rather sleep in the morning than set the alarm or hit it six and seven times because life will become so tedious and wearisome to you if you live without God, if you work without God. Uh, Look with me back in the text in verse 17. He says, I hated life. That's the attitude of the person who sees that the one who's going to get all my hard work and effort, how do I know if he's a wise man or a fool? So I, I hate it. I hate it because of the work that I have. It says as well in verse 20, so my heart began to despair. It was not intended to be this way. God didn't intend for it to start out this way. Um, I was talking with Marvin this morning. Uh, He's so glad we're we're covering Ecclesiastes because it talks about work. And he was telling me, Ryan, I love to work. He was saying, yesterday I worked 14 hours. You should see this 80-year-old guy almost lifting off the ground with excitement because he got to work 14 hours yesterday. He was telling me how he got to clean off the drive and take care of the grass. and That's what it's supposed to feel like. That's what it was supposed to be like in the beginning. God set your task and then gifted you for that task so that you glorify him by the work he's given you to do. But then sin. I want, I, want, I want to point us back to Genesis. This is in chapter 3. Watch what happened in the garden. To Adam he said, 
Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Without God. Without God. Look at what we have. It will move you to despair. Um, I know of a teacher who is getting ready for back to school. Anybody else? Feel that right now? That's this week, right? And this teacher, I won't name any names, is very stressed out. She is working all the time. Um, I got to be careful what I say. No. <laughs> Let me put it this way. I have been told that there are not enough hours in the day. Right? There's not enough hours. Do you ever feel like that with work? Do you ever feel like the tasks that you're trying to get done, there's just, there's just not enough time? And what happens to you when you're on a project? What happens to you? And then, the, you know, there's just not enough time. What happens to your heart in those moments that you didn't get to finish the job? Do you not move to despair? Do you not move to a place of just wearisome, worn out, just stressing out your husband type of, type of day? <laughs> okay, this ice is getting thin. Let's move on. Number two, number two without God... Your work, my work, will have no return for my effort. Without, without God, the one who's designed things, without him in your life, you can put forth all the effort. You can work all day long, and you will not receive the return for that effort. If you look with me again back into the scriptures, verse 19, he says, um, Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. If you look ahead a little bit more, he says, it's in verse 21. For a man may do his work with wisdom and knowledge and skill. Look, look at everything he's pouring into it. He's working so hard to leave it to who? To leave it to a fool. You don't know. You don't know. And so because you don't know... If you work without God, your work will give you no return for whatever amount of energy you put in. It will not offer it back to you when you're working without God under the sun. When, when I was uh, younger, we took the bus to school. And I remember in the mornings uh, walking out, waiting for the bus to come down the road. I, I would look down at the, the edge of the driveway and where the driveway met the road, there were these little ants. I mean, tiny, tiny ones, very small ants that would build these little ant mounds out of sand. You know, they, they, they were just basically about this big, you know, about the size of a couple inches. And right in the middle was a little hole. And every now and then you'd see the ants going in and out. And so, you know, as a kid waiting for the bus, what would I do? <laughs> That's right. That, I would I'd knock down their little hill. And you know what they do? They come right back out again, working as hard as they could. To build it back up again. And so the next day, you know what I'd do? <laughs> Knock it down again. And what would they do? Yeah. I, I imagine how wearying that must be. 
I mean, even in the wintertime, the snowplow takes it all away, right? Whatever effort they give amounts to what? You don't know. Who knows? Some idiot kid could come and just knock this down right away, and now it's gone, and all of my work, all of my effort, it amounts, it amounts to nothing. The same is true for you and I. If we live, if you go through tomorrow, if you go to Monday without God in your life, you could, you could work as hard as you want, but it won't amount to anything. Uh, third in this text, without God, my work never leads to rest. I want to draw your attention to verse 23, well, 22 and 23. Um, he says, what does a man get for all the toilsome, anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his, all his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. How sad is that? Has any, be honest now. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been trying to sleep at night and your mind just suddenly turns on? Oh, I got that due uh, in the morning. Or, oh, I still got this thing I'm working through. And what do you do there? As your spouse is fast asleep and you're just buzzing, can't even sleep. Now, I don't want to blame all of us here uh, for, not, for working without God. But I, what I do want to point out to you is that if you do go about your business without God, you now are the one who has to answer for the purposes. You do. There's no trust and confidence in God. It's all on whose shoulders? It's all on yours. And what, what does that do to you in the middle of the night? Just, just keeps you up. A warm cup of milk's not even going to help. It doesn't matter what you try because you have not submitted your task and purpose in life to God. To include God in your everyday life, you've tried to do it yourself. And in doing so, what you will find is that more, faster, greater achievement, whatever success you're chasing, will never be enough. You'll always need more, and so it will never lead to rest. Now, have you ever found this true in your life? Have you ever pulled an all-nighter? Have you ever worked really, really hard only to find that the next day you were really snappy with people, and then in the middle of the day you had to crash? Take a nap. Come on, be honest. Has this ever happened? Right. You, you can see that when you and I begin to strive in our work without submitting and enjoying the work that God gives us, that wearisomeness that keeps you up at night will force the human creature to crash. And you become destructive to all the people who you love. All right, number four. Without God, my work is only mechanical. My work becomes Mechanical. For this, we need to turn to the next chapter. So in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you look with me in chapter 3, we're going to continue the story looking in verse 9 and 10. And all the way to 13. I'll, I'll read through it and then we'll discuss what this means. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 9. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. So in this passage, what I want us to see, first of all, is that without God, your work is simply mechanical. Uh, this comes from, uh, I think, 
your version, if it reads a little different than mine, verses 9 and 10 when he says, what does the worker gain from his toil? My translation says, I have seen the burden that God has laid on men. Does your Bible say something similar? I've seen the burden that God's laid on men. The, the Hebrew here, I think, is, a, is slightly a little bit different. It says, the toil by which he toils. The, the, the purpose of what the author is trying to say is that God has given those who want to live without him, like the task laid upon men, simply keeps them busy. It's just busy work. That's basically all, that's all it is. If you go to work without God in your life, you will be simply like a robot doing your little task and then going to bed and waking up the next day and going through the... That's all it is. You're you're just being kept busy. Just busy work. When I uh, served in the Caribbean at our our Christian school, I was in charge of discipline. I, I was the vice principal, and so whenever the kids would get on a line, whether they were in the dorm or the day students... It was my job to try to straighten them out. And most of the kids, we really made a lot of progress and had a good time. It wasn't too hard. But there was this one kid, this one time, who drove his teachers nuts. He was so uh, disrespectful to any of the staff and the authority in the school. He came from just a troubled background, and there was nothing you could do. There's nothing you could do to reach this kid. And I remembered as I was trying to think of what is an appropriate punishment to try to like get him to see the consequences of his words and his actions. I remembered that years before, back in the 60s, they had this pile of rocks that was back behind the ship. And they would take the misbehaving boys and they would make them move the rocks from this location all the way back over to the other side of the dorm. And then the next day when they messed up, you know what they make them do? They'd make them take those rocks they moved and put them all the way back there. And I thought, well, let's give it a try. So I told them, I want you to go take those rocks and move them all the way over there. (laughs) He finishes. All right, now what? Now I want you to take those rocks there and move them all the way back over there. And he looked at me. What? (laughs) Just despair. Just like pointless. Whoa. Uh, by the way, we didn't use that discipline anymore after that because it didn't work too well. Do you see the problem? If you, if you live without injecting God into your every day, your work that he has tasked you with, it's just going to be mechanical. And you're going to find just weariness and despair. I'm just going through the motions. That's exactly what it says here. Verse 9 and 10. What does the worker gain? I've seen the busyness that God occupies men with as they simply work under the sun. So without God in your life, your work will only be mechanical. Uh, Number five, without God, your work is only a temporary achievement. Now, no doubt, as we're talking about all the downers here for work, you you could probably give me plenty of examples of achievement. You could probably give me plenty of examples of promotion and success and victory, and that's why I do this job, and that's why I love my work, right? Any amens? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you have many of those examples. Here's the problem. Without God in your work, those achievements are only temporary. Those achievements are only fleeting. In fact, let me draw you back into the text once more. Look at me in verse 14. The writer says, I know that everything God does will endure. What's it say? Forever. Forever. The Bible does not say what you do 
will endure forever. That's not what it says. What God does will endure forever. Here's the problem, though. If you cheat with me and go back a couple of verses, look with me in verse 11. Verse 11 says he made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Now, this is, this is mankind. This is men and women. Think about that for a moment. Thanks a lot, God, right? You, you gave me finitude. You, you made me a finite creature, right? I, I, I am not infinite, amen, right? You are, we are not God. We are finite. But you have set upon my heart the desire to live forever. You, you have created me in such a way that my heart yearns for existence that will extend beyond the 80 years or however many years that we have. Thanks a lot. <laughs> because here's what that means. That means all of my achievements that I strive for will never satisfy because I'm finite. Unless, what did it say again in 14? Everything God does will endure. Are you connecting the dots on this? Are you connecting the dots? If you want your satisfaction for that design of God within your heart to live and extend into eternity, you best make sure that your work is not defined by you, but is instead defined by who? Because everything he does will endure forever. So without God, yeah, that was great. Whatever promotion you got, way to go. You're totally going to forget about it in a couple of years. You have to move on to the next thing and you'll be up all night. And abusing your family and your loved ones with all the stress and strain you have. Because you're going to have to keep trying to achieve more. Because it will never last. Because without God, it's only temporary. Lastly, number six. Without God, my work is all for me. And I become God. Alright, this is, this is a significant one. Um, I want us to turn to chapter 8 in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, there, there's prob- I think there were at least a dozen more passages that we could have looked at. But I've tried to just pick the ones that we can sink our teeth into. So this is our last one for this morning. Um, Chapter 8. Look with me in verses 16 and 17. The writer says, When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even a wise man who claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. Uh, This, by the way, I think is one of the, if not the saddest set of verses in the whole book. Um, what, what the writer is doing, uh, the teacher here, Kohalath, we learned his, his name, teacher, that's simply teacher in Hebrew. What the teacher is doing is he's now confessing. He's talking about himself here. He's saying that when I tried to observe, I applied my mind with wisdom to look at the work. I'm going to look at the work that happens. And what I saw is that there is no sleep for these men who are toiling. There's no sleep for them in the night. And there's no sleep for them in the day. What he said is that even with my wisdom, nobody can understand this. So this is an admission. This is a confession of failure on the part of the writer to say that even in his best efforts to pursue wisdom, to understand the work, it can't be done. It can't be done. And the reason is because he's not fit for it. You're not fit for it. 
He's not God. You're not God. The more that he tries and strives to untangle this web of what's happened because of sin, the more he realizes, I'm incapable of doing it. And here's the great danger, that if you don't understand that limitation, if you don't understand that, you know what, I I don't have the bandwidth available in my heart and nature to define my own work for for my glory, if you never get to that point, you will inevitably become your own God. You will become a type of God who therefore works and strives to bring glory and worship to to yourself. And it won't work. It won't work. Without God, your work only serves you. Ultimately, without God, uh, because you're going to worship something. And without recognizing the one true God, you will turn like a crucible inward, become self-focused upon self-glory. And unfortunately, you will find that you are not fit for the task. You will be like our writer here, who in this moment recognizes that he has failed. So what do we do with all of this? Well, there was an answer back in chapter three. If you would turn back there with me and we're going to seek to understand how to apply this to our lives. What do we do with our work? If if we believe the Bible in Ecclesiastes that without God, here's the rubbish that you get. Well, how do we fix that? Well, it's pretty easy. You bring God with you. In chapter 3, we're given the answer. If you look with me there, it says in verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toil. Pay attention now. What does it say after this? This is the gift of God. There's our answer. And so if if verses 12 and 13, if if you brought your Bibles, this is worth circling, underlining. This is the answer for work. By the way, the same answer that we found last Sunday. It's the same one we're going to find next Sunday. But here's how I want us to seek to apply it. Number one is this. God-given work satisfies because happiness is not tied to your achievement, but rather happiness is tied to Jesus. Uh, In in Greek, the word for happy is translated in English as blessed. Um, And so we have on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, explains this tipsy topsy-turvy world of of how kingdom life looks so very different. Because blessed are the poor in spirit, he says. What that really means is happy, fulfilled, satisfied. Jesus says something awesome in uh, John chapter 20 that I want to hold on to this for this observation. This is the moment where Thomas says, you know what, I don't don't really believe that he rose from the dead. You guys remember this? What what do we call Thomas because of that? We call him a doubter, right? And Jesus says, come come on, Tom, look at this. Put, Put your hand right here. It's me. He said, blessed are those who believe, but who have not what? But who have not seen. Do you you know who who they are? I'm looking at them. That's all of us. You believe in Jesus? Raised from the dead? Yeah, so happiness for you, fulfillment, satisfaction, is something that the Bible promises to you because you hold to Jesus. So if you and I are going to find that, I'm back in verse 12 now, I know there's nothing better for men than to be happy, let me tell you how to find happiness. Happiness is found with Jesus. 
this passage in Matthew 25 that we read. Remember, who was it that gave five talents to another and two and one each to his own ability? Who was it that gave the gifts? In the metaphor, the master here is represented as Jesus. Jesus is the one who gave you the ability to do what you do. Jesus is the one who gave you the job that you're able to put bread on the table. Um, and and um, this, this plays out in the church primarily as Paul teaches in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians twice. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as who gave it? As Christ gave it. 1 Corinthians 12, all these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And a little further in chapter 12, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If you want to find satisfaction in your work, if you want to find happiness, you need to hold to Jesus and say, Jesus is the one who has made me this way, has given me these gifts, and has offered me the position to serve him in this manner. If you want to find satisfaction, you take God with you into your workplace and into your job. So I hope I hope hoping you can clear on this. It's not the job that satisfies. You guys with me on that? Shoveling manure is a crummy way to spend a Saturday morning. But you find happiness not in the work itself, but in the one who gave you the work. I have this little two by four. It's 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 the end of a two by four. I was building a cabinet and uh, for the bracing on the inside cut off the end of it exactly to the size I needed, took the scrap and threw it in a box. Well, my little daughter, when she was five years old, went into the scrap wood box and she pulls out the end of the two by four and she takes it upstairs and she draws this little purple heart on it in crayon. And then she puts these little colors on the side and she comes down and she says, daddy, this is for you. Now that's a piece of junk wood scrap, right? It's, it's junk. It serves no purpose. Do you know where it sits? It's right on my desk. That's right. This, this ugly looking two by four with this beautiful little purple heart. Why do I find satisfaction and joy in it? Not because of it, but because of who gave it. If you want to find satisfaction and happiness, that's what the text says, right? I know that there's nothing better for, for men than to be happy. If you want to find happiness, you make sure you recognize that your work has been given to you by God. So I, I do have a warning, though. Every, every one of these uh, where we're going to talk about, here, here's what the text says. I want to offer you a warning so that nobody's able to leave here today, go back to work on Monday, and not be able to make changes. You might need to make changes in your job. And so let me give you a warning. Be very careful of removing God from your daily work. Be very careful. I've heard stories of uh, folks in our church even who after coming to know the Lord have taken their little cubicle area or their desk area and they put verses. Anybody do that? Anybody put little reminders uh, across just something simple that allows you to say, I am submitting and surrendering my day to the Lord by remembering to bring God with me to work. I hope you're able to do that. Number two, uh, God-given work satisfies because it focuses on serving others. God-given work satisfies because it's not all about you. Look with me back in the text once more. Verse 12, it says, I know that there's nothing better for men than to be happy and do, what's it say? And to do good. Now, I think we did a whole series on this, didn't we? Like 
the whole first half of the year. Remember that? Do good. There is no shortage of verses in the New Testament that give us the command, you are here to do good. Here's the beautiful thing about doing good. Doing good is always for who? It's always for others. It's always for serving others. As we seek to obey God, you will find a vacuous meaninglessness if your work is only serving you. But you will find this overwhelming joy of being able to serve others. A couple of passages that teach us this. Ephesians 4.28, Paul says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those who are in need. The purpose of work is not for you. In fact, he's, he's here contrasting the person who is, who is a thief. It's not for you. God put you here to serve others. And again, in 1 Thessalonians, he says, make it your ambition to live a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life, you might win the respect of outsiders. How are you doing that? Well, because my work is not serving me. I'm carrying God with me in my work. And therefore, whatever it is that I do, I'm getting to serve others. And when you do that, you will find your work will satisfy. But here's the danger. Be very careful with work that only serves yourself. Be very careful. If you find in your job, you are working for the almighty dollar, be very careful because you're going to get worn out quick. Number three, God-given work satisfies because God meets our needs. God-given. You guys know why I keep using the word given? Do you remember what it said here in verse 13? Find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of of God. So every one of these talks about work that God gives you. And so God-given work here will actually satisfy because he will meet your need. We already prayed it this morning, do you remember? Give us this day our You guys need bread? Some of you looking at your watch being like, "Yeah, pastor, we need bread." <laughs> Where does that come from? I came I came from my paycheck, pastor. I I'm the breadwinner right here. So Really, maybe you should tap the brakes and remember who is it that has given you that ability? Who has given you that sound mind? Who has given you a strong back and gifted hands to work and serve him? That thing come from you. Give us this day our daily bread is exactly in line with what the text says in verse 12. I know that there's nothing better for men to do, uh, nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction. God is the one who has allowed you to put bread on the table because he supplies your needs. This verse from 2 Thessalonians, a little bit long. Paul says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we wouldn't be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we don't have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Watch this now. This is important for you. Remember with teenagers too, by the way. <laughs> the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. You don't want to work? You don't eat. Simple as that. Now, not everybody does the same work, right? Not everybody is gifted in the same way, but everybody contributes. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we commend and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down 
and earn the food that they eat. God-given work will satisfy because he will provide what you need. But be very careful with seeking satisfaction beyond those needs. Be very careful with that. There was a saying that I remember when I was looking at career choices when I was much younger. Uh, the saying was, keeping up with the Joneses. You guys remember, ever hear that? Who's the Joneses? I, I don't even know. But what it means is that whatever they got next door, I want. It's the breaking of the 10th commandment of coveting. And what, the, what you will find is that you will now begin to fall and fail into meaninglessness and vanity because no longer is your work given to God to supply your need, but now it's coming after the striving of wanting what other people have. I pause on this because I cannot pass by without us acknowledging how we live in such an evil time. Do you, do you know the idolatry that you face every day? in materialism and commercialism in this world. I, I, hope you, I hope you see it, because it is a toxic kind of environment for the Christian. Paul says, I will be content. I'll be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I've known the secret of being in, living in plenty and living in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, he says. Right, Because he has learned the secret of contentment. So be very careful with that. Number four, God-given work satisfies because we have entrusted ourselves to his program and his process. I want to return back to verse 14. He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. You need to make sure that you are doing whatever God has designed because what you do will not last. What he does will And so make sure that the God-given work that you have is lining up with his purposes. His purpose is his glory, which we're going to look at real real quickly here. But before we do, two verses, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for who? Yeah, I'm part of his design. This is his business. This is his program. So whatever it is I'm doing, flipping burgers, I'm flipping them for Jesus. I'm working for him. I'm not working for the dollar. I'm not working for my boss, taskmaster. I'm working for the Lord. Same idea in Ephesians 6. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Just one quick concession. Both of these verses are in the context of slaves to masters. Slavery is a little different back then. You and I would do well to understand this in the context of employment and employers. You don't work for the man. You work for Jesus. So serve in a way that serves as if you're serving Jesus. This great quote from C.T. Studd, he says, Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Lastly is this. Oh, by the way, be very careful of any job that lacks rhythm and rest. If your job is keeping you up at night, you be very careful about that. If you don't get rhythms in your work, you be very careful about that. There's a reason why the fourth commandment exists Remember the seventh day, even God took a rest and you're a finite creature. You need to make sure you honor God. And that's our last, last one as we, as we wrap this up this morning. God-given work satisfies because it leads to honor 
God. It leads to honor him. One last verse to show you here at the end of verse 14. Look with me again in the book of Ecclesiastes. The very last sentence in verse 14. God does it so that men will revere him. Why does God's work last? Why does it endure forever? So that you won't think highly of you. And maybe you're somebody who's very gifted. Maybe you have been given quite an amazing opportunity to build a business from the ground up. Somebody who's esteemed titan in business. Be very careful with that. Because glory is going to be like a magnet attached to you. But it's not to you. Amen? It's not to you. It's to him be all glory, praise, and honor. Because if you want work that satisfies, it must lead to him. Um, I had a whole bunch I was going to say on this, but we ran out of time. Let me just read it to you real quick. Jesus says, the student is not above his teacher, nor the servant above his master. It is enough for the students to be like their teachers and the servants to be like their master. I hope that's enough for you. Jesus came and walked this earth, gave us an example to follow. He is your teacher. You are the student. He is the master. You are the slave. It is enough for you to look like Jesus. And in doing so, you will give him glory. So be very careful when your work leaves you with all the praise and glory. This last passage from 1 Corinthians 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, say it with me, do it all for the glory of God.